Hey everyone, welcome to episode 124 of the MTG Grindcast, the spookiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. This week we are talking about the most SCG Tour thing we possibly can, because Colin's just finished PC preparation. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, finished is a strong term. Well, but y- you've, you've registered your decks. <laughs> yeah, decklist submission was two nights ago at midnight, I guess now. And yeah, we did it. We it's, did it. We we figured out what we're playing and submitted our deck lists, as did all the other competitors. And I am exhausted. <laughs> I bet you guys were up late every night. Every, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've ever prepared as hard for any tournament that I have for this one. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, we were just we were just going really hard, cruising into the, the early morning hours pretty much every night, trying to, you know, just do it. Yeah, I am not confident that that was the best time management. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah, yeah. But it, you know, it just kind of like goes along with the flow of us like getting on a train of thought and not wanting to stop that and sure. then just kind of like pushing the limits on doing yeah, this thing. Taking it deep. And, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So why don't we, just to sort of lay out the roadmap for what we're going to talk about this episode, yep. um, I think we want to talk about sort of, I mean, number one, like, how the like testing team composition went because it wasn't just team lotus box mm-hmm. all of your players who were qualified testing together there was a little bit yeah of figuring out what was actually going to happen there and then sort of just go through that process a little bit and then i think we should probably go kind of format by format and you know figure out what you guys learned about each format and mm-hmm. what you ended up registering and i'm also curious about how the type the the way the tournament is set up both in like the size of the tournament and the fact that you know everybody who's playing in it yeah i I, i'm really interested in hearing how that influenced your deck choices okay and preparation yeah i mean definitely let's get into it all right so how did you what was the testing process so yeah well not everybody was exactly on the same page on how we wanted to go about yeah uh, breaking up into groups right because we ran into the like you know we team lotus box made up six of 16 of the players competing in this event yeah that's a lot that's That's over a third of the that's over a third of the tournament and uh on top of that for the for pretty much all the tournaments leading into this Mm -hmm. we had all kind of like gotten pretty comfortable all registering the same deck yeah and that made some of us nervous Mm -hmm. for this event because if we all were going to test together as a conglomerate and register the same deck then we're just like gonna be <laughs> that's kind of exploitable if somebody figures over a it third out. of the field yeah. right yeah and and right and whether or not that is actually exploitable was is like still up for debate mm-hmm. like different players on our team made different calls yeah. on that but, but yeah what i mean the skinny of it is that essentially the local players who live in this house all decided to test together mm-hmm. as one group of four so that was me, Zan, Jeremy, and Dylan. Who doesn't live in this house, but is an honorary. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> close enough. Yes. And Abe decided to break off and work on his own for most formats, but he was still part of our legacy testing. Mm-hmm. And Edgar decided to break off as well. Okay. So. And now. Yeah. Even if you guys had all worked together in a group of six, mm-hmm. you would not have, you would not necessarily have to register the same deck 
you know, you 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 wouldn't have to do six 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 like yeah, everybody and that had was, the same thing in each format. Right. And that was one of the discussions that we had is we were like, you know, okay, maybe we can still all work together, but we will like try to come up with some game theory optimal distribution of strategies for each format. But kind of the, the counter argument to that was that we, you know, we're pretty good at figuring out which of those strategies is the best one. Mm-hmm. And having to relegate players to what everybody is going to know is like the B deck mm-hmm. is kind of a feel bad. And, you know, maybe it kind of organically happens where just based on preference, some people decide to play, mm-hmm. you know, deck B over deck A for whatever reason. Sure. And that could be fine. But having that to, like, if that was like a forced thing, it wouldn't feel quite as good. Yeah. Sure. And so you really feel like your process at this point doesn't tend to yield, like, multiple equally valid decks. I Honestly, I think that we are pretty good at narrowing it down to the correct answer. Hmm. Cool. And that, you know, that's that's a big statement, but I feel good about that. Yeah. I mean, it certainly has kind of shown, especially towards the end of this season. Yeah. That has happened. Yeah. And, you know, and for this tournament, I think that the four of us were able to really nail it on um, each format. Well, probably, I I assume more of the, like, talking about how the testing process went is going to come out as we talk about your understanding of each format and yeah. the decks you ended up with. Yeah. So what format do you want to start with? Well, uh, I personally put the most work into Legacy. Yeah. So we could probably start there. Yeah, why don't we start with Legacy? Yeah, so Legacy. So, well, another thing that I want to talk about, which is like interesting and unique and not quite format specific yet, mm-hmm. is the kind of one of the things that happened was that we ended up creating a spreadsheet of all of our competitors. Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out what they were going to play yeah. based on their tendencies. And I have to imagine that everybody who is qualified for the PC also made a spreadsheet yes. thinking about the same thing. Right. And I think that everybody had similar, like, you know, organized guesses on what everybody in the room is going to be playing. Sure. Because, and and that's such a fascinating thing because we don't, we don't know. We're not, like, talking to these people, mm-hmm. r- really, and, like, figuring out exactly from that what they're going to end up playing. But we do know each other well enough to know what their range is going to be. Mm-hmm. And we're all looking at the same landscape of each format. Sure. Right? You know, we, we're we seeing which deck. We're looking at the same decks that are having success outside of us. We're looking at, you know, the same format. We're preparing the same format. And on top of that, we know everybody's tendencies and everybody's ranges and preferences and stuff like that. So through that, we can make pretty educated guesses on what the rest of the field is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Which I didn't really think was going to be as possible or as clear cut as it ended up being. But it gave us a pretty specific metagame to target okay. for every format. So probably we should start each format with what yeah. your idea of the metagame yeah. was going to be for that format. Right. So if we're starting with Legacy... So we're starting with Legacy. So so the big like thing that happened over the like duration of our testing period was there was a Legacy Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. And... One of the big decks that came out of that, and one of the big decks that just was kind of like becoming really popular in general, was Snowco. Snowco, yeah. So Snowco is for like the old school legacy players. It's just miracles with the best planeswalker with uh, with Oko, yeah, and and, and Veil vale of Summer. and Veil vale of Summer main deck typically yep. Veil vale of Summer. Two crazy powerful green cards that you yeah. just cast off of Astrolabe yeah. and still basically no dual lands. Yeah, 
And, you know, we knew our competitors loved blue decks. And, you know, we knew, like, for example, Harlan and Zach Allen had, like, played a lot of, um, like, Astrolabe miracle decks in the past. Yeah. And, you know, Snoko was, like, pretty much the clear best deck, in quotes, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. So we, we, we estimated there, there were going to be, like, seven Snoko decks at this tournament. Wow. Okay. Huge percentage of the field. That's most of the not you guys yes. portion of the field. Yeah. Um, and then we pegged like a couple other competitors for Delver. Mm-hmm. We I think there's going to be like three or four Delver players, um, and then everybody else is kind of an oddball from there. So like I think that we expected there to be one Death and Taxes player and uh, one Depths player. Well, but, well, and now we've hit like eleven and or that's, twelve players, yeah, and that's so. pretty much everybody. Yeah, right. So, but. But that field of to target is like really narrow, right? Yeah. So we need to be able to beat Snoko very consistently. Mm-hmm. Evan has his like spreadsheet, like metagame breakdown right. thing that he does that allows you to that, input matchup yeah. percentages and right. then figure out what's best positioned against your predicted field. Yeah, exactly, very accurately. So, so, and what we were looking for really there was like we want our deck to be pretty dominant in the Snoko matchup mm-hmm. and. And we, you know, we don't want to be a dog to Delver, and then we want to at least have game against... Merit Lage. Yeah, Merit Lage and the Death and Taxes player. Mm-hmm. But those are definitely the matchups that we could skimp on. Yeah. Right. So the first couple of things that we tested were, like, I think lands variants were a popular option. We wanted to see if, like, lands could really compete with the Snoko deck mm-hmm. very well. And we kind of, like, thought initially that it would just be a breeze for lands. Yeah. That did not end up being the case. It is was actually Oko just like, a problem. Or? Yeah, Oko's a huge problem, and then they just like have plows, and mm-hmm. so you, you like you just can't like twenty twenty them out on. resiliently yeah. enough. So, like Field of the Dead was definitely the best thing that we had going for us. It, like, sure. it was very difficult for them to beat Field of the Dead, and I do think that Lands is probably like maybe a fifty five against them, mm-hmm. but playing that matchup out a lot, we just like didn't come to like a confident yeah here any confidence that that was like a hugely favorable matchup for for lands and you didn't find any yeah. breaking things to be like okay this is what really we really need yeah. to be doing in the matchup to feel right. like we're getting them yeah so we kind of moved on from that to turbo depths mm-hmm. so not the standard depths deck that everybody's right. been playing with mox diamonds and yeah that sort of, you know that that is willing to like play sort of a longer game mm-hmm. um but like lotus petal spirit guide yeah old school turbo depths yeah lotus petal elvis spirit guide not of this world not of this world yeah not of this world free counter spell that card is phenomenal in this deck Mm -hmm. right now specifically because there's a ton of swords and you you can hit caracas with it Mm -hmm. and a lot of people's plans uh, against depths these days like even the delver decks they have like two crop rotation sideboard and like a lands package that includes bog and crocus yeah so if you can just like they crock it they crop rotate for crocus when you go off and they try to bounce it and then you just not this world it it's it's huge swing yeah so and we really did like our matchup against snowco there mm-hmm. and i think that that was definitely like one of the higher like options for us but i think the abe did a lot of testing with that deck personally and just didn't really vibe with it as much mm-hmm. and while all this was going on we another big part of the conversation was graveyard strategies mm-hmm. typically these like mid-rangey blue decks are very soft to the graveyard decks yeah so uh you know throughout this testing we were looking at dredge 
uh, for a while because mm-hmm. Dredge like traditionally has a hundred percent matchup game one against these like slow mid rangey blue decks, and it's just all down to the number of hate that they are going to have post board. Sure. And we didn't think that people were going to come pack in with hate mm-hmm. for this tournament for graveyard decks. Yeah. So we were considering Dredge, but the another problem that we came up with Dredge was that the deck's just not good. <laughs> That's. Like, I, I was all, about to ask that to like, all the dredge fans out there. Like, I'm sorry, uh, but it's just it's just it loses to itself too much. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to mulligan very aggressively, and it it just doesn't work out. And um, it is a lot of the time polarized, right? So mm-hmm. like, al- although you do have a good matchup against a lot of the blue decks, yeah. If you were a little bit wrong and somebody shows up with sneak and show or something like that, yeah, yeah, like you're just in a lot of trouble at that point, right? So I tested a lot of dredge because I wanted to, my objective personally for this tournament was just to play, I wanted to play the matchups game. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the competitors here are going to be very technically sound mm-hmm. and I want to be going into matches with a significant deck advantage. Okay. And I think that our field was narrow enough and, you know, attackable enough that that was possible for mm-hmm. us. So I, you know, I was definitely looking for like a dredgy strategy to be able to, like you know juke in that fashion sure um but dredge i just didn't like dredge itself um it was just a little too inconsistent but the other graveyard deck that we tested Mm -hmm. was hogak yeah and hogak was you know similarly very very strong in the blue matchups um not quite as much of a home run game one Mm -hmm. but hogak just has the ability to play through hate a lot better than yeah. any other graveyard strategy because not only can you just like cast creatures and attack your opponent but also you you just aren't forced to mulliganing as much in general so you like have a, a higher success rate like finding your anti-hate cards mm. um like with dredge you dredge like game one like average mulligans to five typically yeah. to find a functional or powerful hand mm-hmm. but um Hogak is just much more consistent you're playing lands and spells like a normal deck, so you just need to mulligan towards like your enablers and just reasonable lands, which is you know. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably add, mulligan to six on average, but not not too hard. And one sort of hidden advantage of these graveyard decks in this particular tournament is mm-hmm. the open deck lists advantage. Yeah, you know if you're supposed to be bringing in your your force of vigors in any given matchup, you don't have to guess what their hate is. Yeah, so that's. That's pretty um, nice. Yeah, and right, and that's a huge element of the graveyard strategies. Is the hardest part of playing a graveyard deck is knowing which interactive pieces to board in. Mm. Um, like, okay, is my opponent going to be on surgicals, or are they going to be on ley lines, or are they going to be in rest in peace? Yep. I don't know. I have to guess. And then you know, for game three, I can see what happens and adjust accordingly. But yeah, for this tournament, we just know what to do. That's sick. Post board also makes Cabal therapy better if you know all of the cards in your opponent's deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very true. Cabal (laughs) therapy is nice. I (laughs) love a Cabal therapy. So is there anything fancy about this Hogak list? It's pretty stock. Okay. The, the, so uh, for those who remember uh, Tarek Patel's Grand Prix Top 8, he played Hogak. Our list is very similar to that. But he actually, so this is a, Careful study. This is a cra- careful study. What's the crab called? Oh, uh, hedron crab. Hedron crab. Yeah. So it's a hedron crab deck. Yeah. And all of the hedron crabs are now pretty closely tied to Once Upon a Time. Mm-hmm. But Tarek actually got his top eight before Once Upon a Time even existed. Mm-hmm. So he didn't have 
access to that. But so we put Once Upon a Time in the stack to increase the consistency. That's nice. It was very good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah. So we so we ended up on Hogak because we really like our matchup against Snoko. <laughs> it's just you know they they do have good tools against us in like swords and and uh, terminus, mm-hmm. but we just have the ability to like. Just keep play going. recursive things and and yeah, if you're altering them none of that matters so and they can't they can't ever be to resolve alter yeah um one of the most common play patterns is cabal therapy you name force will cast alter they die on the spot <laughs> um so that's pretty nice yep that makes sense i mean you're just not like you don't give them priority in a place where their removal spells matter at all and you just combo them out like yeah that's why this deck was not okay in modern and yeah (laughs) it's it's not really when you're doing it it feels not okay in legacy either right yeah um do you know how much do you know about the legacy decks that actually have gotten registered yet i know a couple of the the pc players have revealed what they have registered do you know if this if your your choices are paying off yet or are we still waiting until tomorrow to to really i'm pretty sure that we we were correct Mm-hmm. Um, I think one player that we had down for Delver played Death and Taxes. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm not sure yet. <laughs> How is the Death um, and Taxes matchup? It's fine. Okay. Yeah, they are dead game one, mm-hmm. and then it just kind of comes down to rest in peace post board. Yeah. Um, Which honestly, like on the play, you're kind of faster than depending on your draw. Yeah. Anyways, no, absolutely. So. Um, and that's one of the things about rest in peace is that, like, they just sometimes it's too slow. That's what we learned. When Hogak was legal and modern, so... Yep. Cool. Well, anything else about Legacy that, you know, particularly interesting? we covered most of it. So, myself and Dylan and Abe are all on Hogak. Okay. Zan and Jeremy actually opted to play um, uh, Sultai midrange. Ooh, okay. Um, so, it's just kind of another bug midrange deck. Zan built it to also have a really good matchup against Snoko. Mm-hmm. You know, traditionally, Bug Midrange has done very well against Miracles in the past in Legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that checks out here as well. The one, so is this a Him to Turek deck? It's not. Okay. No. So Him to Turek, I think, is actually a pretty big trap right now. Sure. Because people are playing main deck Veil of Summer. Mm-hmm. And... That's you know, not good for you. Right. If you get a Him Veiled, it's... <laughs> it's basically like you're getting Him. Yeah, it does feel that way. Yeah, your opponent gets a 2 for 1 off of you. It's yeah. really bad. So I think, so he built his deck to try to play around these two mana enchantments that were really hard to get off the board. Okay. So he's playing Bitter Blossom and Sylvan Library. Sure. Yeah. Interesting. And so are we, like, did he, what, what is the discard and counterspell suite? Are we keeping Veil in mind, like, with our disruption? Like, what are the concessions there? Uh, is it just that we're kind of like more on board with those types of things so that the the stack isn't like as brutal for us or yeah and i mean obviously it's an oko deck so yeah it's an oko deck and it has pretty traditional like disruptive elements okay outside of that and he has a like specifically teched out sideboard Mm -hmm. for the matchups we're expecting Mm -hmm. i don't know if i want to get too much into that that's fine you don't have to give away his information yeah. yeah um but yeah, he likes his matchup against Snoko, so... Okay. Yeah. And so I guess, what do you want to talk about next? We can talk about Standard and, like, talk about the MC and how that influenced things. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, we can do Standard next. Okay. So we... Standard was kind of the one that we had on the back burner for most of these, like, two weeks leading up to the tournament. Okay. Because we knew that 
you know, right before Declas submission, there was going to be the Mythic Championship, yeah, which was the weekend have... of yeah. Declas submission, right? Um, and so we saw, you know, on Wednesday all of the Declists, mm-hmm. and that kind of got us all like thinking about it and playing particular matchups and trying to figure out like which decks were the best mm-hmm. uh, of, of the bunch. And Evan pretty early on got on to. Okay, so while I'm briefly mentioning Evan, I want to, like, super hard plug Evan real quick. Yeah. Evan's not qualified for this Players' Championship. But he worked. He worked harder than probably any of us individually yeah. for this tournament. It was he, impressive. He put an insane amount of effort into preparing for this tournament just because his buddies are going. Mm-hmm. And he's not even going to be able to come with us to this event. So, you know, super huge shout out to Evan Whitehouse for just, like, all of the insane preparation that he's helped us with for yeah. this tournament. I It was... Yeah. You know, I was just here. I was not helping. I was going to work and I was coming home and playing God of War. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah. the the fact that he was doing all of that work, uh, definitely very impressive and definitely yeah. props to him. That was super cool. Yeah. It was it was really incredible. So he he kinda got on standard like on Wednesday mm-hmm. when the when all of the deck lists were posted. Yeah. And he Yeah, so the first deck that he really wanted to try out. Um, was actually a Manguchi's ramp deck. Yeah, this is a sweet one. Yeah. So as we all saw watching the MC. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, so Evans like and you know and we kind of like knew leading into this like before we got before these deck lists even got out we like we kind of had a good idea of what was going on in standard. So I guess I should talk about that first. Mm-hmm. You know the two like the two big pillars obviously were. Um, uh, these cat decks yep and the flash the fires decks yep you have Jeskai to be fires, able to beat both of those yeah Jeskai fire is probably like the most popular deck going into this event it beat up on food really well mm-hmm. and then food was also just like a huge, super successful engine already that people figured out you know there was the black green variant and the Jeskai, or sorry the jund variant mm-hmm. um which, which people had adapted to the Fires yeah. metagame. Fires was strongly attacked at this tournament. Mm-hmm. A lot of uh, enchantment removal, a bunch of main deck casualties of war, which casualties of war just like great in all of the tier one matchups, it mm-hmm. felt like. Although Fires did end up having one of the best day one to day two conversion rates yeah. at the Mythic Championship. Yeah. So, you That's know, true. It, it's still, I, which kind of surprised me because... Mm-hmm. You know, my perspective going in was like, this deck is relatively easy to attack. Yeah. And it is, you know, your deck full of Cavaliers, when you don't have a Fires in play, like, the deck is pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, I think that that deck was really good at beating up on just all of the stuff mm-hmm. that ended up being at that tournament. Yeah. But once you kind of got into the later field of, like, people who were very prepared for Fires, mm-hmm. it just... You know, kind of petered out at the end. Yeah. And Manguchi, that deck is prepared for fires. Oh, five, six yeah. reaches, not beatable. <laughs> no. Yeah. Manguchi's deck definitely prepared for fires. But even before we get to that point, uh, so we knew about the pillars. And then we also were kind of keeping our finger on the pulse for this blue red flash deck that mm-hmm. kind of started popping up. And everybody was streaming that. Yeah. Everybody was streaming it. It, was, it, it became a huge like point of conversation. It was like, oh, wow. Um, you know, Gadwick is actually like really, really good. Right. Really kind of transforms how that type of deck yeah. operates. Besides, mm-hmm. instead of being like this 
tempo-y resource tradey deck that you're just really hoping that you're left with a big Brimeborn cutthroat and like yeah. you're both out of stuff. Mm -hmm. Like you trade stuff and then you draw four cards. Right. Yeah, you, you trade stuff, you play one for one, and then you get to draw a million cards, which is really good for just, like, that element of the game, the card advantage element of the game. Mm -hmm. But also, Gadwick does a, a a huge role in the tempo element of the game. Yeah, it locks down yeah. boards. And that's another problem that flash decks have, just, you know, philosophically, is that if stuff gets out on the board mm -hmm. and you're behind, that can be really difficult. Yeah. But Gadwick offers this, like, other solution of, like, okay... I'm going to take this turn off to resolve my Gadwick, draw a couple cards. They're going to be able to resolve a thing or two, but then I'm just going to be able to like cast opts or Brian board cutthroats on my opponent's turn and completely right. invalidate whatever like big creature that they resolved. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that, that card did a lot. And the people who figured that out pretty early on, I think like definitely had a, an edge at, at this tournament. Um, I don't know if any of these decks ended up making it. I think Huey lost his win in to top eight, the MC. Um, yeah, the flash decks that made the top eight were pretty much all the right. Yeah, the Paradise Druid version of yeah. the deck the, yeah. that Brad Nelson and and that and, and Seth and that that crew was playing. Yeah, and I remember when like back when we were talking about this blue red flash deck, we mentioned it to Zan, and Zan was like, "Why are they playing red? Just play green. Mm -hmm. Green's so much better. You get to play Frilled Mystic and Night Pack Ambusher." Like, these cards are way better than all the red cards they're playing. <laughs> and we were like, yeah, probably. So Zan actually built his own, like, flash deck mm -hmm. that was a Gadwick deck still, but, like, had, like, the green cards instead of the red cards, essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think his flash deck is actually the best flash deck that I've seen, hmm. including the one that put three members into the top eight really? of the Mythic Championship. Yeah. I do think that Zan's was actually just a better build. Okay. Um, we heard about Brad's deck right around the time that the lists came out, and we definitely tested it a little bit. It just was a little... I think Zanstek was just a little more, like, cohesive. Mm -hmm. um, like, there was a lot of, like, clunky things going on with Brad's deck that we didn't like. Like, the Paradise Druids felt a little awkward, and they were, like, trying to find this balance between being a flash deck and a ramp deck, mm -hmm. and I just don't know if that, like... Well, I mean, the Paradise Druids... Very well. At least the idea is that... The turn where you are representing Nightpack Ambusher and uh, Frilled Mystic is your best turn. Mm -hmm. And so you're getting there one earlier. Yeah. No, like, that's fair. Like, so, like, that's the point. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that works out as often. Clearly, it worked out during that particular tournament oh, quite yeah. a bit. I mean, those three players crushed the event. Mm -hmm. So that was really cool to see, for sure. Um, you know, and it, I think that, like, uh, looking at the top two strategies, Flash was definitely one of the better options for that. Mm -hmm. So I think that like a variant of Flash just kind of in any capacity is going to be well set up in that environment. Yeah. So even though I don't personally think that their build was um, as good as it could be, uh, it was just an extraordinarily strong meta call, mm. which is why I think they did well. Okay. But so that's where we were at when deck lists were posted. And then Evan was like looking at Mangucci's deck and he like ran it through a couple of arena matches and... Like, a day later, he was preaching it. He was like, guys, Mangucci's going to win this tournament. <laughs> you know? So this is the Risen Reef Cavalier of Thorns quasi-duplicate yeah. ramp deck. Yeah, so this is, like, a true ramp deck. Mm -hmm. Like, we're ramping, you know, we've got uh, the elemental package in the the Leafkin Druids and um, the card you just said. Risen Reef. Risen Reef. Yeah. And, yeah, and Cavalier of Thorns was just, like, really well set up in the metagame uh, because, you know... 
Yeah, blocking just, Cavaliers is really good. Yeah, against Fires, you get just to block. You get to block all the Cavaliers, um, and then this deck just goes way over the top of anything else. If you ever untap with a Nissa, you sh- it, like you have a lot of ways of you know resolving a a, a boar or mm-hmm. uh, you know casting finale for ten. Yeah, <laughs> and, and finale for a boar just always wins the game. Yes. So yeah. and it's like you don't have to have that many lands in play if you untap with Nissa if you want to have twelve mana. Yeah. Like that's pretty doable in this deck that has leaf kindred tapping for two mana mm-hmm. and risen reef getting a bunch of triggers yeah i mean the deck is just extraordinarily good at ramping and you know you can go off by uh like having risen reef and then like quasi duplicating the risen reef and then discarding a card and having another risen reef and then all of a sudden you have 10 lands in play yeah. you know without even thinking about it yeah i know you've drawn like four cards or whatever it's it just is does an excellent job going over the top of every other strategy and benefits from I think one particular thing that we saw in the metagame is just the complete absence of aggro decks mm-hmm. at all yeah yeah um, we're not playing against gutter bones or really like knight of the ebon legion yeah. like very few ember cleaves nobody is hitting you for damage on turn two and three because that strategy is so ineffective against cat and mayhem devil and that sort of nonsense. That, that it just got completely pushed out of the metagame. So it gives yep. you time for your setup-type de- set deck that yep. wants to go over the top. Yeah. The one card that this deck is scared about the most is just, yeah, the Embercleave mm-hmm. decks. Um, Embercleave's tough. Yeah. Because it just kind of, like, you know, pushes through and kills us before. Because we don't really have a lot of ways inter- interacting. We're just trying to go over the top and right hoof them out, <laughs> you know? You have, like, one Agent of Treachery to finale for. Yeah. That's, that's your interaction suite. Yes. Yeah, got it. <laughs> we looked at all of our matchups, and we did a lot of focus testing. Uh, another deck that we strongly considered was Kvartek, um, Black Green Adventure deck as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a lot of work in that matchup. And we just kind of, like, focus tested all of the popular matchups against each other. Yeah. And so we have a pretty good idea of like what is favored against what. And we did a lot of work like trying to tune each deck to be able to beat the field and its bad matchups. Yeah. And after the dust settled on all of that, our two major front runners were Jun Cat and this ramp deck. Mm-hmm. I think Jun Cat is definitely a really, really good choice. And I expect that to be the most popular deck at uh, the PC. But we really like our matchup against Juncat with um, Manguchi's deck. I actually think that's one of our better matchups. Mm-hmm. We can still die to... Early Mayhem Devil. Uh, early Mayhem Devil and Korvald mm-hmm. is just Grizzlebrand. Yeah. It just is. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it's too big to block with Cavalier effectively. Yeah. And it yeah, just yeah. kills you. And Right. If it, if it hits you, you probably are going to die. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely is never going to take more than two swings to die from that card. So. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we still have a lot of game there, and I think that generally uh, Manguchi's ramp deck is going to be favored against the Fire deck. Mm-hmm. And, and, sorry, the Cat, the cat deck. deck. Too many names. Yeah. <laughs> and you're definitely favored against the Fire deck because um, you're just bigger than yeah, them. Yeah, and, right, and the Fire deck is, uh, you just go over the top of what they're trying to do. They're, mm-hmm. like, doing all this thing to be able to, like, have two five fives on turn five. Yeah, and your but, whole thing is getting a bunch of five six reaches into play. So. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, their deck looks pretty silly when you, like, cast a Cavalier 
uh, and then mill over quasi-duplicate and then can cast it the same turn on you. you have two it got an untapped land. Yeah. Right, right. Your, you had seven mana and it makes <laughs> the eighth mana. Right. And that you can easily get to that point on turn five. So. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. So I think that that fit my category. The It, fit all, it checked all my boxes for really powerful deck that is going to be favored against the expected field. Mm-hmm. Um, for standard, we definitely didn't have as much of like a hard read on what everybody else was going to play. Right, because it's um, not like yeah, people haven't played multiple opens of right. this format. Yeah. Like this format is only a couple standard is only a couple months old. Right. It has had multiple bannings and yeah. blah blah blah. So we we were mostly in the dark there. So we just kind of like broke down the expected metagame percentages based on like what we believed the top decks were mm-hmm. um so we wanted to be able to beat those decks yeah yeah so for standard more than for the other formats you were kind of it, it was more like preparing for a regular tournament yeah just trying to bring the deck that's best against the metagame that right. exists yeah and we expect the metagame, metagame to be pretty narrow i don't i think there might be like one or two like oddball like out of left field decks but i think mostly we're just going to be seeing like the top decks and mm-hmm. standard at that event if anything, Minkuchi Sek is going to be, like, one of the more out-of-left-field decks. Yeah. So, I mean, it can't be too huge. You know, like, he did top eight, so, like, this deck is... Right. No, and people are going to know about it. Right. Absolutely. But it's not, It you know, it doesn't fit into the category. Because I think that we're going to be seeing a lot of Flash. Mm-hmm. And, okay, so I should talk about the Flash matchup, is that we definitely expected a lot of the people to lean towards this blue-green Flash deck. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of rigorous testing between blue green flash and Mangucci stack mm-hmm. and kind of like on paper we felt like flash should be ahead yeah just because we're this ramp strategy that's like ramping up to big things and then their counter spell strategy but we actually found that we we believe that our competitors at this event are going to just kind of stop there with their like theorizing and be like, okay, I want to play Flash because if people play Mangucci deck, I'm going to be favored there. But we did a lot of like very rigorous focus testing in that matchup, and we actually think that Mangucci's deck is comes out on top mm-hmm. in that matchup. Is that mostly because of like the effect of resolving Arisen Reef, or you you just get to play the same game that they do post board? Hmm. Okay. You just like have access to counter spells. Okay. And then post-board you just kind of get to play their game better than they do and, and mess them up that way. okay game one is not good okay <laughs> yeah. gotcha gotcha um game one is not good you're you know you might get lucky and you know sneak a nissa through or whatever but you know if you but you know post-board i think that you're a pretty heavy favorite in that yeah matchup, so your mystical disputes are much better than their mystical right. disputes yeah 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 okay uh-huh. and our standard deck has the most like little kid distribution of cards we're on a classic four 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 three sideboard. for our standard <laughs> yeah. sideboard which i love but and you know we're definitely not too proud to what are to what are your it. four sideboard cards okay so we've got uh aether gust mm-hmm. mystical dispute mm-hmm. shifting ceratops shifting ceratops and lovestruck beast so three of your four cards mm-hmm. are the color hosers that they've printed as like, yeah, here huh. are your sideboard cards. How about that? Thanks, Wizards, for <laughs> posting broken sideboard cards. <laughs> and then one is the sweet anti-aggro card that's yeah. just really good against creatures attacking you. Right, right. Yeah, we yeah we definitely just wanted to have access to a lot of Lovestruck Beasts because it's just the best thing that you can do against any aggro deck in yeah. standard. Yeah, um, definitely a thing that I missed like during our like set review. Mm-hmm. I just didn't quite process like... If they're attacking you, it yeah. can block. It doesn't need it's, a 1-1 to block. It's two blockers. Yeah. If you're the type of deck that like 
isn't casting something on turn one anyways, and that's just like a free roll one one, and yeah, and it's just impenetrable in the early game yeah. it is gigantic it's massive for sure yeah and it just bridges you to your late game against these aggro decks and that's that's just what we wanted yeah great yeah so that's standard so we ended up on i think we all yeah we all registered manguchi's deck for standard yeah um, i i mean i love that deck i i played a version of it a couple of weeks ago after i believe it was yo larson registered it in twitch rivals like the mm-hmm. first tournament post ban yeah um and so i i grabbed a version of that and started playing it and tuned it a little bit i didn't figure out the finale package mm-hmm. um which i think uh puts the deck into a weird place yeah like he, he made there there was one really smart choice which was putting jaces in there yeah. as the like because you needed a way to just win the game after you have cavaliered a, a billion times right However, that is so vulnerable to them holding up Murderous Rider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That I was, just, it's just not a plan that you can afford to do. Yeah. Right. Like, the engine of the deck, everything it was doing was really powerful, and I won a lot of games just by doing my thing. Mm-hmm. But there were games against food where you're like, can't win with combat damage, my deck is tiny now, this Jace is going to have yeah. to go the distance, and if they had the Murderous Rider, you'd just die. Yeah, Craterhoof is a brilliant addition to the deck. Yeah, that's just a um, way better way of finishing out the yeah. game. and. And what is it? Endray's Forerunners? Endray's Forerunners, yeah. yeah. And I love Huffinum. This deck is just exactly my speed. I am so excited that we ended up on this deck for standard. It's also very sweet that you get... Like, Forerunners combines very perfectly because Finale of Devastation just doesn't give Trample. Oh, right, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which actually came up for me mm-hmm. in the iq that i played this past weekend yeah if they have just a bunch of cats or whatever it'll just block well i was running up i was running finale in my modern deck this weekend oh yeah um and i had a game where my opponent had a bunch of blockers in play and i could finale for a lot i could finale for plus 10 plus 10 yep. but i had to do it twice so my first one forced him to jump block all of my creatures and then my second one could deal lethal with all of my creatures but well, well, I'll mention that deck a little bit when we're talking about modern, just because of like the sure. things that we can do. But I'm obviously way more interested in how you guys ended up where you ended up in modern. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> like what what you think your positioning in the metagame is. Yeah. So of all of the formats, I think I think we're I think honestly we nailed it and on every format. Mm-hmm. Uh, but modern, I feel the most confident that we have the best deck in the room on. Okay. Um, let's start at the beginning for modern, I guess. Where yeah. did we all start out with? So, I mean, so, you know, the obvious talk of the town in modern for the past several weeks has been Urza. Yep. We are in yep. the middle of an Urza-based metagame. Yep. We put Urza on the map, and it's been pretty dominant for a long time. Yep. We did not want to play Urza at the Players' Championship. Mm-hmm. At least I didn't. Um, and because it's just so obvious and... I just trusted our competitors to be able to not bring a deck that was going to be a dog to... Right, nobody's playing Jund if they, you know, put you guys on Urza. If they're like, six Lotus Box guys play an Urza. Right. I'm not not showing up with Tarmogoyf. (laughs) Of course not, yeah. And and we believe that everybody else was going to be putting us on Urza Mm -hmm. and attacking us pretty hard. Um, so we just thought it would be a pretty silly thing to do to be to show up on Urza. Right. Um, like nobody is 
like like the deck is not super exploitable. It's hard it's to come really up not. with like, yeah. oh man, I have such a good Urza matchup. Mm-hmm. But if everybody in the room comes with a deck that they believe has a fifty five percent Urza matchup, or at least has a very very strong plan against mm-hmm. Urza post board, right? That's like the most scary thing is, is like, you know, it doesn't really matter what you play. If you put like three chokes in your sideboard, you're going to beat Urza. Right. Um, so so you're just not going to be able to show up to this tournament and get a single free win right. with an Urza Oko Goose deck. Yeah, exactly. So we, were, we wanted to explore our other options. Mm-hmm. You know, and other like big considerations were like we expected Shadow to be a reasonable mm-hmm. element of this tournament, um, which... Put an interesting like crimp on which decks that we could play because we were like, okay, what can we play that beats up on Urza? Because we did, did expect a lot of our competitors to be playing Urza as well, mm-hmm. which ended up being true. And in addition to that, uh, you know, it's hard to find a deck that beats up on Urza that doesn't just lose to Shadow. That was like, yep. like, because these decks are on kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum. Right. Um, I think Shadow is a little favored against Urza. So we were like, okay, Shadow might be a really good option. Yeah, we've talked about it before. The squeeze yeah. that you get put in in deck selection, trying right. to beat the powerful, powerful value deck yeah, yeah. and the aggressive, disruptive deck. Right. Like, your options there are not not, not last. Yeah. So we were exploring options. One of the decks that we got pretty high on was Burn, actually. Mm-hmm. Because we believed that these Urza decks kind of, like, were starting to get pretty inbred and that... If you got cards in your deck and you're playing yeah. against Burn, you have three blank right. cards in your deck. Yeah, and people just kind of like stopped thinking about Burn because Burn got hated out by all of the Okos that mm-hmm. are around right now. This Urza deck was playing Oko in it, so it kind of just like by default had a good Burn matchup. And it was playing, you know, the combo for a while. Right. If uh, you have combo in those Karn slots... Yeah, your Burn matchup becomes... Much better. Much, much better. Um, but, you know, we were like, okay, people are moving off of combo, you know, more towards this like mid-rangey build that has Karns. Maybe it doesn't even have Karns, but it's just like people are playing a lot more like interaction, mm-hmm. like Thoughtseize main deck and like removal spells main deck that right. started to become popular. And Obviously, when you're playing Burn, your opponent just gives yeah. turn one Thoughtseize. Oh, it feels great. Yeah. Yeah. So so we were like, okay, Burn. And then we like focus tested Burn against these like mid-rangey Urza builds and we're beating up on Urza pretty well. Mm-hmm. And we were like, wow, Burn might be the perfect juke because we can beat Urza and also beat the uh, the shadow side of the the field. Yeah. Oh, one thing, sorry, don't, not to cut you off, but Keep going. Um, one thing about Burn versus Urza is that Stony Silences out of Burn are actually an effective card. Yeah. <laughs> unlike most decks. Yeah. Because you really care about them cracking their foods. Right. And yeah. since Stony stops that, you know, that's a tool that Burn gets against the Urza decks that a lot of decks just don't really right. can't leverage as well. Yeah. So but sorry, keep going. No, you're, you're for sure. So we we liked Burn like for a moment. I think both Zan and I were like locked on Burn. We were like, we did it, we found it. Burn mm-hmm. is the perfect choice. It's gonna be the perfect juke. People aren't gonna expect it. Um, we in our modern testing leading up to the event were like, well, we don't need any burn hate in our deck because none of our competitors are, have burn right. remotely in their range, and we assumed that they would believe the same thing. Like maybe me would be like the one player that they might put on burn, right? But but very few they would be people right, but... want to show up to the players championship and have registered burn in modern, right. right? So so we were pretty excited about that, but then like a day or two later, we went back to focus testing burn against harlan's build of urza Mm -hmm. which he's been playing pretty much forever Mm -hmm. and we expected 
either him or like some non-zero number of the Urza players to be playing a like a more heavy combo centric yeah build of the deck yeah he's Cause, got words he's got combo yeah because both Ely Cassis and Harlan had championed that for a long time mm-hmm. so we were like okay if like half of the Urza decks or like even us a, a percentage of the Urza decks are on this then what does our matchup look like and we tested it and we tested it and burn just got annihilated wow. over and over and over again okay and we were like well damn back <laughs> to the drawing board on on modern so you know we continue testing things we looked at shadow but then we were like, Devoted Druid might be another option. Yeah. Um, the thing is that if we were still worried about Shadow. Mm-hmm. So we were like, okay, if we can build a Devoted Druid deck that can beat up on Shadow post-board, then we're going to be in a good spot. Because mm-hmm. Devoted Druid is excellent against these Urza decks. And and then, you know, if we could just like tune it in such a way where our matchup against shadow at least became like a 50 50 or you know like or like really good post board yeah that could you know really put us in a good spot mm-hmm. and <laughs> jeremy in the top eight of regionals was playing a shadow deck and was playing against a devoted druid deck and just got dumpstered by a bunch of mirrored crusaders it's unbeatable <laughs> it is it's unbeatable it's if like you're not running lightning bolt and nobody is running nobody lightning is. bolt right now because you have drown in the lock yeah because yeah you your suite has like opened up more into like the other end of the color pie mm-hmm. so you're playing like fatal potions and drown in the locks and stuff like that um and oko as well is like an option because a lot of people are playing like four color shadow yeah druid or sorry mirin crusader really does a good job beating up on shadow so we and it's a pretty good card against urza too it is um, yeah. the the removal spells are all black the creatures are almost all green oko is green elks are green yeah i mean like the creatures are mostly elks and elks are green yeah and just like kind of the solo matchup of a moon crusader versus an oko mm-hmm. moon crusader just wins yeah it's you know just, the just two attacks into oko can kill it you know or like depending on the scenario you can just like really pressure them mm-hmm. uh because all of their elks are going to be green <laughs> yep. and uh and the mirror crusaders per green so you can't oko it and there is there are very few cards that are better with noble hierarch than mirror crusader yeah no oh, yeah so uh so yeah so we were like all right let's do it so we jammed up a bunch of mirror crusaders mm-hmm. a bunch of veil of summers and uh and we really do believe that we were able to flip, flip the shadow matchup cool um because you're just presenting a very different angle of attack you're not yeah. trying to combo against them at not all. really no you're just you're just trying to have more mirror crusaders than they have inquisitions of kozalik right and yeah and not only do you have three mirror crusaders but you also have eight tutors mm-hmm. <laughs> you know so you're gonna and you're playing once upon a time like you're you're gonna get to your right um and they crusaders. so they are gonna know that you have these mirror crusaders mm-hmm. they're going to know that they need to thought seize you before you're able to cast your mirror and crusaders. Yeah. Uh, given that you can sequence your, like how, when you are tapped out and stuff and make sure to have veil ready yeah. to protect your in hand mirror and crusader. Right. Yeah, for sure. Ha- like casting a devoted druid into the turn where they have to have a thought seize mm-hmm. is like really terrifying for your opponent yeah. because they're like, all right, well, I have to kill this thing because just if it, even post board, like looking at a devoted druid is like really scary. You just don't want to have your opponent untap with that, right? Um, even if you don't have a com, even if you don't have vizier, yeah, this is just two mana. It's just a soul ring that you get there. Sure, yeah, no, devoted druid is just great. 
you know, that's kind of the angle that we decided to take in mm-hmm. the end was we were like, all right, devoted to it. This is going to be the perfect thing. Mm-hmm. We're going to be able to find these Urza decks and we're, we should have a good matchup against the rest of the field. Like we did the, med- the, the breakdown of everybody that we were expecting to play. You know, there's like some Tron in there, some humans, mm-hmm. um, and like all of the archetypes that we expected to see even a little bit at this tournament. Devoted Druid, we felt like had a really good shot at beating. Sure. So yeah, we pulled the trigger on it. On Sunday, we... I was pretty much locked on Hogak mm-hmm. and very much locked on Druid. And we were still just kind of like trying to determine between Minguchi's deck and Jund Cat mm-hmm. for standard. And then, and then something something happened that <laughs> threw threw kind of like the cork in our uh, threw a wrench in our plans a little bit. The the cork yeah. in the wine bottle, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Our druid deck got leaked to two other competitors at the Ooh. tournament. Not the list itself, right. but the fact that you were playing the druid. fact that we were playing druid. You know, somebody posted it in the wrong group chat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And it was a whole thing. Yeah. And, we, you know, we it was definitely very stressful for all of us because we were like, okay, nobody's going to see this coming. It's going to be great. Nobody's going to be prepared for it at all. Everybody's putting us on Druid and we're going to be, or everybody's putting us on Urza. We're going to be able to juke that. It's perfect. Um, but yeah, and then and then there was a leak. So a lot of us were thinking, like, what do we do? Do we have to, like, change our deck? Do we have to, like, go back to the drawing board and play something else? <laughs> um, do we want to split up the team? And be like, some people play Druid still because it's we think it's just going to be great against the rest of the field, and some other people like switch to Shadow or something. Yeah, and that was that was definitely like a an element of this tournament that I think is just like not really you just don't run into that in in like these bigger tournaments. It's just like you know, yeah, um, we're, we're like actively posting all of our deck lists on our our Patreon, and we just like want it accessible and stuff. Mm-hmm. So. So we're typically not as worried about stuff like that. But for this like super tiny field where everybody's metagaming very specifically against yeah, people. Two people changing their deck changes the metagame at that point. Yeah. So yeah, so so that happened and it was definitely very stressful because it was on Sunday. Yeah. And we you know, we had to figure out what we were gonna do. And I I you know, and I, I told the team I was like, look, you can think about switching if you want, but I, I think it would be really silly to like jump off of our your tuned very tuned like right. all your sixty percenter against the field mm-hmm. like because even if two competitors know what we're playing now that they didn't previously you know it's Sunday they're not going to be able to like completely crush us and you know and it's not even it wouldn't even be correct for them to like potentially sw- like switch decks or something like they could we kind of thought that they might be on Crabvine mm-hmm. and that was like worst case scenario because. I do believe that if they were on Crabvine at that time, mm-hmm. they would have not played Crabvine because they would they would know that there's going to be four Druid decks in this tournament. So that was, you know, there was definitely an equity loss there. Yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I decided that I wanted to stick to my guns, play this deck. You know, I think it ended up uh, working out with the, the players that ended up knowing about this, ended up registering a deck that we still think that we're very favored against with druid Mm -hmm. so kind of no harm no foul there well and you know one of the decks that even if i knew you were playing druid but all i knew is the word devoted druid yeah you know an easy thing for me to do is if i'm struggling to choose between urza and death shadow Mm -hmm. then i would say okay i'll i'll choose death shadow then right but you guys have patched that leak up as best as you can yeah and we we did talk about that we were like 
what if their juke is t- to play Shadow? Yeah. Like, that's, like, the most obvious level one. Like, okay, I know that there's going to be four Druid decks in this tournament. Let's play Shadow. Right. But we're happy to play against Shadow mm-hmm. with our Druid deck. So Yeah. The nightmare is they go, there's four Druid decks at this tournament. I'm going to swallow my pride and play Burn. Right. And that we were terrified that that was going to happen. <laughs> we honestly, we were, like, really crossing our fingers being like, don't play Burn, don't play Burn. <laughs> um, yeah, Mir- Mirror Crusader doesn't solve yeah. that. Right, right. But I, you know, even, even, I, I just don't think that, like, regardless of whether or not you know that there's four Druid decks at the, at the field, mm-hmm. I just don't think that you're going to have a good matchup against most, like, some of the, the Urza decks. Yeah. You're just going to get crushed by a, another person. Right. If they are on Harland style Urza and yep. they're just trying to thopter you out as quickly as they can, then right. you're, you're in a rough spot. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, definitely, definitely a little bit of drama there. <laughs> yeah it was funny because when it happened zan was playing e-league yeah so everybody was doing their best to like tiptoe around and like not ruin his right competition right because you know he's playing for for fifteen hundred dollars in a match oh yeah we we didn't want to bother zan zan was very busy playing (laughs) e-league magic uh this you know and we were all like desperately trying to do damage control (laughs) and uh yeah Yikes. Yeah. No, that was that was not the best, Mm-mm. but it is behind you now. Yeah, we made it through. And I will say I feel great about the Players' Championship. Cool. I think that given what I've heard other players are playing with, and, you know, we'll find out tomorrow. Given what I've heard, I think that all of our decks are favored against the field mm-hmm. at large. I think that either people think that they have a good matchup against our decks and actually don't, mm-hmm. or, or we just, like, on paper just very clearly have strong matchups across the field sure how is the experience of working on three formats at the same time for a tournament because i get overwhelmed preparing for a split format tournament yeah uh it's a lot it's you know i prepared for for this tournament much more than i have any other tournament i think but it was made much easier with more people Mm -hmm. and that was like a big debate about like whether or not testing in a large field is like going to be like more or less beneficial for this tournament. It's very clear to me at the end of all of this that four or five mines mm-hmm. is just much stronger than two or one. Yeah. Not only did we have the four of us like testing very hard, but Evan Whitehouse was putting in a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Casey Lancaster put in an enormous amount of work for us in legacy and modern we got the druid idea now he was from he was a little casey. bit of a free agent like he was just kind of yeah. willing to help anybody who was asking him questions C- right he's just a bro yeah. you know he he's just like wants to help out uh and yeah he put in a lot of hours for this as well yeah and just like the amount of work that these people put in uh, you know it it made things much easier you know and i you know tested night and day as well but like i was pretty comfortable like going deep on legacy when i know that Right. Like, during that, like, Evan is jamming a bunch of standard matches right now, and Zan and Dylan are, like, second testing a modern matchup. We just, like, have all of these things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. And, the like, this large unit working together, we were just able to map everything out. We, I think we ended up being wrong about, like, three or four other decks in the field. Mm-hmm. And that'll be like confirmed or not on tomorrow, but based on what we've heard, people have talked about what they said. Mm-hmm. We nailed it on <laughs> what everybody else is playing. For for both 
modern and legacy. Cool. And, you know, standard, I think that our, like, percentage breakdown is going to be relatively accurate. Yeah, that we don't, we don't know harder, who's though. playing what as much. Like, we, I think that we can peg a couple of people for what they're going to do. But, mm-hmm. but, yeah, we, I just felt like I just had all the information. Sure. Like, I, we were able to figure out which matchups were favored, where... And, like, you know, how to sideboard to make this matchup, like, reasonable. Uh, we just had everybody putting in the work. So, but, yeah, I mean, it was it was, it was was hard. <laughs> it was really hard. We It was much more stressful. And, like, you know, we kind of, like, had different formats down at different times. And then we would, like, get a new piece of information that upsets, up, your... upsets our thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the whole burn thing, I was so happy when I was, like like 80% to play burn yeah. at this tournament. I was like, yes, I can play burn. It's a good choice. I'm so excited. And then it turns out it wasn't a good choice. And we were able to determine all of that through like Evan's like win rate against the field calculations, mm-hmm. right? Because because we were able to pretty accurately determine what our competitors were going to play, we had like percentages of the field for each deck. Mm-hmm. And then if you have that and your expected win percentage in each matchup, yeah. you can just like have an exact number of your expected win percentage against the field, mm-hmm. you know, and we would just like go in and modify all those things and like test specific matchups when we weren't sure whether or not it was one thing or the other. And we just did that over and over again until we had just like 60% win rates for certain decks. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we settled on. Cool. As far as this, so I am playing pretty much exclusively modern for the next yeah forever yeah, yeah, yeah um like every open for like through the beginning of february it, it's a bunch of modern open there's a team modern open there's a modern open and then in the team constructed open i'm going to be in the modern seat and so there's mm-hmm. just like a lot of modern going on so that's what, where my focus is going to be yeah and has been mm-hmm. so i'm curious how do you feel like this druid deck is positioned in an actual modern tournament not nearly as good as it will be at the pc okay in my mind yeah yeah um these decks that you're gonna see at the players championship are pretty inbred sure i think that standard less so than mm-hmm. anything else but both like the legacy decks and the modern decks are going to be super hard targeted for this really really narrow field yep so i wouldn't so no i wouldn't copy in 75s i wouldn't play any of our 75s um hogax 75 is like if you want to play hogak great Mm -hmm. you should play our 75 it's the best okay it regardless of the field that you're playing it in but but that doesn't necessarily mean um, you're supposed to choose Hogak yeah. because Hogak was well positioned for exactly. the PC. Right. And also, when you look at these Snoko decks, you're going to be seeing main deck Veils, main deck Pyroblast, mm-hmm. like pretty extreme things that people have done for this tournament. Because they're trying to beat the um, mirror. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, in, in terms of like exact 75s, I wouldn't trust it. And also in terms of like which archetype is on top, mm-hmm. I wouldn't trust it. Yeah, it's just a different type of magic. Yeah. Speaking of that... Any consideration from the structure of the tournament, did that influence the types of decks you were choosing or anything? Because it's a very weird structure. A little bit. The, the Like, what what did that do the, to your thought process? So, yeah, I mean, so the tournament structure is not, it's not really ideal <laughs> in my mind. I don't think it's that great. Uh, there are a lot of problems with it. Mm-hmm. Um, the weight of each format is very different. You think so? I do think so. Okay. Yeah. And there's, like, some arguments. Like, I think you can actually make arguments for something being more or less relevant. Mm-hmm. But you can win this tournament and not win a single match in Legacy. Okay. But if you 3-0 your Legacy pod, mm-hmm. then 
you get an automatic day two. Mm-hmm. Whereas a 2-1 in Legacy and a 1-2 in Legacy are the same record. Yes. So the only like different records are 3-0, 0-3, and everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, because a 3-0 puts you into day two, and 0-3 puts you into the lowest bracket, and you immediately have to play a, a, a match oh. to stay. Mm-hmm. And then both of the other records just send you to the middle grudge match <laughs> to the winner of which gets to play, play for, for buys, buys yeah. against the player who 3 0 mm-hmm. Um and then the loser of which has to play to stay. Yeah. So Legacy is in this really weird spot where you're actually re- super incentivized to play a deck that you can either easily 3 0 or at least steal is one luck win. to get a win. Yeah, yeah, and I think that Hogak is locked to get a win Mm -hmm. you're just extraordinarily favored against all the blue decks and if your opponent doesn't have much graveyard hate you're just gonna roll them yeah and i am and so the one deck that hogak is really scared about is depths Mm -hmm. so we know that dilks is playing depths of the tournament yep i'm just hoping to dodge honestly (laughs) uh so you know if i can end up in one of the pods that does not include dilks i feel pretty confident in my ability to 3-0 yeah so so that's kind of why I chose that deck. Mm-hmm. And if I played a like a blue mid-range pile, I could probably 2-1 if I play better than all of my opponents, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Or if like one of my opponents is better than me, I'm going to 2-1. But I just think that my ability to 3-0 with a blue deck is just not quite as much there. Sure. So that did influence our decision on, on that. Modern is like the format at this tournament where if you're doing well in modern, you're never really going to be in that much of a bad spot Mm -hmm. because modern is like all the grudge matches first wall of defense Mm -hmm. of like all right you know i won two legacy but you know now i have modern to bail me out Mm -hmm. um because i'll play this grudge match modern and so modern's always like i wanted our modern deck to be like a rock because that's going to be able to put us in a spot where we're never really like up against the wall but then standard is that like up against the wall are the elimination matches all standard? Is that what it I think, is? I, I okay, so yeah, yeah. I have a hard time of keeping track of exactly yeah what it's, the structure is. This, it's just a nightmare to look at, honestly. <laughs> so I I understand um, why they picked the structure because it it does give a lot of weight to a bunch of individual matches at any given time. There's always going to be something that they can put on camera that's like this match really matters for these players right. here. Yeah, and, and that's that's the idea behind the mm-hmm. whole thing. However, it's very difficult to grasp in your head the tournament structure as a whole and yeah. understand how well everybody's doing at any given time. Yeah. Like, with a Swiss tournament, somebody's 5-0. You know that they're doing the best that they can be doing there. Yeah. Like, it, it's a, just a little bit harder to to just grok what's, what's yeah. happening with this. Yeah, and if you can get through, like, the mayhem that is pod play... Mm-hmm. Like, if you can conceptualize what's going on there, then you can have a pretty good picture of the tournament because the day two is a double elimination bracket yeah. that four players have buys in. Mm-hmm. So that's, like, pretty easy to conceptualize, like, sure. what's going to happen on day two. And then, you know, day three is top four, yeah. which is also, I think, double elimination. So as long as you're familiar with a double elimination bracket, like, the rest of it's easy to conceptualize. But yeah, day one. Just chaos. It's mayhem. <laughs> yeah. But it'll be fun to watch. Yeah. I mean, definitely everybody should tune in Friday. I Unfortunately, Twitch is still blocked at my work, so oh no. it makes it a little tougher. But yeah. hopefully you guys will all still be in it by the time I get home. I hope so, too. Uh, I mean, I get home at like four, so, yeah. you know, it's fine. 
Um, I'm just really hoping that um, we get like a, a relatively even distribution of Hogak players to pods. I really don't want to end up in like a triple Hogak. Yeah, <laughs> that's not what you're <laughs> aiming for. Uh, it's just a coin flip at that point. So. Yep. yep. I'm pretty okay with that. So while you guys have been locked in the house and testing, <laughs> yeah, that has meant that you guys just can't go to local IQs. Yeah. So <laughs> I've been headed out to those. When you guys aren't there, mm-hmm. it's like a lot easier to top eight these things. <laughs> uh, well, good. Yeah, I heard that you played in an IQ recently. Yeah. Um, um, so I, you know, I pulling off, you know, one of the one of the Collins Mullins, just like kind of top eighting a couple of IQs in a row. Yeah, Doesn't, no big deal. Can't can't be too mad about that. Yeah. Um, this one was modern, and I kind of played a pretty goofy deck just because I wanted to have some fun with it. Perfect. Um, but one of the things that I've been really, and this is not a deck to take super seriously. You know, our our serious strategy discussion ended with a with what what was going to happen at the PC. So, sure. Um, <laughs> I, but I do remember seeing your deck, and it was pretty sweet. It is sweet. So I, I have been kind of obsessed with the idea, for a long time in Modern, obsessed with the idea of Utopia Sprawl Arbor Elf. Yeah. And I just cannot countenance the idea that the best thing that you can be doing with Utopia Sprawl Arbor Elf is putting the actual card Stone Rain in your deck. Because mm-hmm. that card's not playable in Modern. Mm-hmm. And Utopia Sprawl Arbor Elf is a combo of cards that are both completely acceptable on their own because they're one drops that get you to t- three mana on turn two. And if you ever get them together, you have four mana on turn two, which is an insane amount of mana. Um, and so the like this deck is entirely based on the fact that if you have one one drop accelerator, then you can play Oko on turn two. Yeah. And if you have the combo, then you can play Karn on turn two. Yeah. Which is really good. <laughs> yeah. Because Karn is insane. Yeah. Especially when it comes down early enough that you don't really have to worry about it getting pressured too hard. Right. Uh, which... On turn two is... Yeah, that's about as good as it gets. That's about as good as it gets. Yeah. Um, So, you know, this deck that I played, the version that I played is a bunch of one-drop accelerators. I pulled this from a... Like, like Jerry T had had screenshotted one of the 5-0 lists that was Karns and Okos and Arbor Elf and uh, Utopia Sprawl and four Hydroid Crasis (laughs) and a bunch of Finales of Devastation. Uh. Uh, So... You know, I played a couple of leagues with it. Yeah. I went down to two Hydroid Crisis. Okay. I should have, obviously should have gone down to zero. I knew this. Hydroid Crisis just ain't it in this modern. This was not modern playable, yeah. unfortunately. If you have the combo, you get to play a 2-2 and draw cards in two. <laughs> well, the deck also has Devoted Druids yeah. and Finales and a Vizier. And mm-hmm. one of the, like, I- cute ideas of the deck is, like, Hydroid Crisis is this value card that's also a payoff for infinite mana where you can just draw your deck and then play a Karn and get a Walking Blista and kill them. Right. So there is something there in this deck. Like my, the thing that I want to do, which is play 12 one mana mana accelerators, including Goose, Oko, Karn, like that, that core is quite good. Mm -hmm. The deck ended up playing out in really goofy ways such that I'm not sure that it's supposed to have Devoted Druid combo in it. Sure. That gives it some nut draw hands but the cost of having a bunch of two mana mana accelerators in your deck is like kind of high Mm -hmm. and weirdly enough finale of devastation was still good even though i wasn't trying to combo most of the time a lot of times what would happen is i'd get out an oko on turn two and then all i would want to do for the rest of the game is make ice fang coaddle every single turn (laughs) sick so they just can't 
ever kill Oko, and Oko's just kind of doing its thing, pumping out elks or elk and their creatures. Yeah. Um, and so I cast a lot of finales of Devastation to get an Ice Fang Quaddle and draw a card. That's awesome. Um, so, you know, that the deck appealed to my, like, let's just, like, grind through this game, yeah. getting incidental value every turn. Um, so there's something to this deck, and I really enjoyed playing it. So and and I think like I I got Zan to catch the bug a little bit. So after the PC, I think we're gonna work on it and try to do something with this. Yeah. Just overall, I think like the deck has the best Karns yeah. out of any deck in the format because they're very fast and the cards it can get work super well with this deck. Weakness. The main weakness of the deck was too aggressive stuff in sure. general. Yeah, you know, I played against our friend Mike Braverman in the top eight, playing humans as Mike Braverman traditionally does. Yeah, uh, and just got absolutely smashed. <laughs> uh, so you know, that's a thing that needs to be fixed. And having a bunch of finales of devastation and in devoted druids in your deck is not not quite it against humans. Uh, not quite it, yeah. but something there. So if you want to explore this deck, I I encourage you, and I really do believe that Arbor Elf Utopia Sprawl is an engine that a thing can be done with that is better than putting like pia and kieran nalar in <laughs> to your deck. Play. yeah 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 that deck has always kind of been around mm-hmm. playing just whatever top end just just yeah absolutely here's a storm breath dragon oh yeah get him <laughs> i guess <laughs> um yeah so i mean if we can find like some real good top end for that for that engine then you know then we could really be talking yeah and i mean i think karn really is it because it scales so well whatever amount of mana you have mm-hmm. karn uses it and does something good yeah so uh, you know there's something to this deck it, it's like eight to 12 cards off right now but sure. you know ideas I ideas yeah i mean you know we've got some really good planeswalkers right now i have the they're let's, let's they're very let's silly use yep let's use them yep anything else you want to touch on um i don't think so cool uh yeah i mean i'm excited for this weekend it's gonna be a good time i'm excited to watch let's uh let's crush it and there's nothing else going on there's no tournaments to to play in or anything like that yeah, I so you really just home. have no excuse to not watch us yeah you know? no we're definitely i think i think we're gonna have a, a watching party at least me and evan and lee and then whoever else wants to come hang sweet. out so sweet that'll be fun yeah um we are rooting for you guys yay um Cool. So everybody out there, thank you so much for listening. We really, really appreciate it. If you want to catch Collins in the Players' Championship, that starts on Friday, December... 13th? 13th? Yeah, Friday, December 13th on, I assume, Twitch. This tournament starts on Friday the 13th. It does start on Friday the 13th. That's rough. What a a sad revelation to have. Ah, But everybody has to play on Friday the 13th. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. It's just going to be everybody's got the worst luck. (laughs) That's fun to watch, too, though. True. Yeah. Unless it's just everybody not able to cast spells. I guess that's terrible. Yeah. Um, yeah, so catch that if you want to watch Collins and the rest of Team Lotus Box battling in the Players' Championship. Um, if you want to find us online, you can find our social media. I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast, and the podcast Twitter is at MTG underscore Grindcast. Collins is also on Twitter, at Collins Mullen. Uh, if you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or straight to our website, mtggrindcast.com to join our Patreon and find episodes and find Collins' coaching. We have ordered our playmats. 
and oh i'm very excited we have finalized t-shirt designs so nice. i just need to get that set up and those will start getting drop shift out to patrons in the t-shirt tiers and uh also have sketches for new tokens and they are very cute <laughs> just like us just like us yeah i mean you know all of our tokens are our goal is just make cute tokens every <laughs> single time so we've got some very very cool food tokens in, nice. in the works and yeah. uh so yeah if if you need some food tokens you need some construct tokens you know just join our patreon any tier we'll send we'll send you some tokens it'll be great perfect thank you so much for listening and have a great week peace